to go to the um, mission trip to Kenya. She doesn't think that she can survive three weeks away from the kids. I've actually suggested that at the end of the three weeks, they will be in line. <laughs> My line. <laughs> uh, uh, we need to pray, continue to pray. So a few weeks ago, we prayed for young Lockie. Um, I said 15, 17-year-old. Uh, who's in hospital, who just out of the blue, his kidneys seem to fail, he's coming home soon, he's on dialysis, looks like he needs a kidney transplant. Um, the parents are just really holding on um, and staying strong in their faith and so we need to stand with them in prayer. And so we want to pray for that just in a moment. Uh, but also to Kim, uh, who comes along with Lily to church, uh, last night went to the hospital because she had chest pains, she had some numbness and weakness in one of her hands, it just... They might sound like everyday symptoms. They, they ran some tests and they wanted to do a CT scan to make sure there's not a blockage in an artery or anything like that, so we need to pray for her as well. She would have been with us this morning, but they want to run those scans uh, sooner rather than later. So anybody else need prayer? Put up your hand. You know, like seriously, if you need some prayer, let's just pray for people. You know, the minute that we stop praying as a church, we stop being a church. So if you see a hand go up, just put it up again. Uh, just wherever you are, just lay your hands on that person and uh, let's just pray for them, amen, and let's believe God's healing, God's restoration, God's refreshing, amen. Father, we just think of uh, Lockie and others in his position. Father, we know even in our own friendship group, we, we prayed for a young girl who is in exactly the same boat. And so, Father, we just claim your healing. We declare your spirit over his life. Father, that all things would work for both he and, and the young girl. Lord, if it's a transplant, I pray that the perfect kidney God is found. Lord, that it would be a match that it would take. Lord, I, Father, I pray that you would just touch and heal and make brand new that which is already there because you're God and you can do that. Bring peace to the families, to the parents, to the mums and dads, to the brothers and sisters. Bring peace to the immediate family, the aunties and uncles and the grandparents, that they would know that... Both Lockie and, and this, this girl are in your hands. And Father, we think too of Kim and her trip to the hospital last night and even this morning, God. We just pray for your peace that surpasses understanding, that your hand would be upon her. That, Father, she would know within herself, Lord, that, wow, I can just sense the presence of the living God with me right now. Father, I pray that she would receive a word of encouragement from her daughter. Father, I pray that even right now, Lily would hear your voice and that she would share that with her mum, that it would bring such hope into her life. And Father, we pray for each and every person in the house that has a, a sickness, a cold, a, Lord, a, a tormenting thought, negativity, whatever it might be, and we just stand in the gap for those people, Lord, and we ask that you would heal them 100%. Lord, that the thought wouldn't just be gone for a moment, but it would be gone for good. Lord, that the aches and pains wouldn't just subside while the hand was resting there, but Father, they would be gone for good that we might give you all the glory and we might give you all the honour. Because, Lord, you're a healing God. That's what you do. <laughs> Father, you're, that's how good you are. And so in this place, we're believing for those things and we're standing firm in our faith on those things. And, Lord, we're saying thank you for the healing. Thank you for the restoration. Thank you for the, the, the positive thoughts, God, and the balanced minds, Father. We're thanking you for the new kidneys, Lord. We're thanking you in advance. 
in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. I don't know if I should use the word excuse my passion this morning, but I just feel like God wants more from us so that he can pour more out upon us, for us, yeah? And over the last few weeks, for those that are visiting, we've been talking about God's desire is his best for us. And the only thing stopping us living in that is us. Like, it's just us. It's the only thing stopping us living in his best. See, everything that God desires for us, he's already given us. He's given us everything. And we just need to step into things, yeah? It's no good buying a house and getting a key and never turning, turning it into the lock for the first time and walking in. And sometimes in our Christianity, we can be people and God says, here's the key. And we grab it and we go, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the key. Thank you, you're such a good God. And then we actually never walk into the home that he's given us and the blessing that comes with the key, yeah? See, the salvation is our key. The minute we said yes to Jesus, he goes, here's the key. And there are just some things in our life that we need to walk into. You know, last week, as we looked at the Beatitudes, I shared that we really need to, un- we need to understand that if God's desire is his best for us, that requires a total surrender. It requires complete commitment. But if we can get our head around that in every situation that we're in, regardless of what we're experiencing, yeah, in every situation, God's desire is his best. He's not our best. Not what we consider to be best, but his best in that situation. We would have a peace in every situation we go through. We'd have peace even in the midst of sickness and cancer. We'd have peace even in the midst of death. We'd have peace even in the midst of a relationship breakdown or a business failure. We would have peace because we understand and know that in every circumstance, God's desire is his best. And we've got to understand his best versus what we think is best, yeah? So I want to continue down that road again, if that's all right. Because God, God keeps talking to me about this stuff and he keeps challenging me in areas. And so I figure if I'm going to be challenged, then, sorry, then I'm just going to pass it on to you, you know? It's like playing football. I might be the best footballer in the world, but unless I get the ball and occasionally pass it on to someone else, I can't do it all alone. Yeah? And we are a family. We are a community who journeys together. Together is the important, the important word. From Monday to Friday, Sunday to Monday, however you want to look at it, Monday to Sunday, we journey together. We do life together. And the minute we stop doing life together, we're actually we're missing some of what God wants to do for us, in us, for those around us. Amen? So we're going to jump back into the Beatitudes. We're just going to read through them again. It'll be on the screen. But if you've got a Bible and you haven't yet bought one, come and see me. But otherwise, open your Bibles to Matthew 5. And we'll jump from verse 3. Now, my disclaimer over the last few weeks has been this. It's not about making us feel guilty about where we're not, but it's allowing us and helping us to see what God sees and what God has for us. And so being content where we're at because God's happy with who we are, flat out, yeah? 
whether we're producing 30 times, for those that corrected me because I said 30%, 30 times or 60 times, or whether we're living in that hundredfold, a hundred times, whether we're in water up to our knees or in deep water over our heads, God is happy and content. But he's just saying, that's awesome, I love you, you're my children. But by the way, I am so good, I've still got more for you. Yeah? You know, so if we go back to that really bad analogy of the house and the key, it's awesome that you're living in the bottom story. It's awesome. But the house I gave you has multiple stories. Yeah? So come up the stairs. There's still more. Anyway, verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realise their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those who heart, whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be happy about it. Like, seriously, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Man, wow. I really, I really am starting to enjoy more than ever the Beatitudes. And last week, I think really the last one that I finished with last week was verse 8, where I said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. And, and we just looked at the Greek word of pure, and I just want to rehash because it's really important at this point. Because what comes after verse 8, we won't walk into, we will not receive, we will not experience unless we understand verse 8. Yeah? You can read past there, but you can't live past there. I want to suggest unless you get a hold of verse 8. And the word there where it says, for those whose hearts are pure, we looked at last week that it's those whose hearts are without mixture, katharos. It's not tainted by anything else. It's a straight lemonade. There's no raspberry cordial in it, yeah? It's just pure, absolute. It's untainted. It's fully consumed for God, yeah? There is no rival. There is nothing else that's fighting the affection of our heart for God. It's pure. And those who have a pure heart that's totally and solely focused on him it says the blessing, his best in that situation is, you will see me. You will see God. And last week, we went on to, to have a look at Exodus and we just touched on it because Moses wasn't able to see God, not face to face. God had to place him in a cleft, in a rock, so he could see his back because otherwise the glory of God, he would die. Yeah, it was too much for him. But you've got to understand that too much for Moses already lives inside of us because the fullness of God that he was glad to place in his son is inside of us through the Holy Spirit. So the fullness, all that Moses was going to see is already inside of us. And now he's saying, and if you've got a pure heart, an untainted, un, unmixed heart, one whose affection is solely on me, you will see me. Not a part of him, not the back of him, you will see me. And I often hear, I often hear, and look, I'm sure that some of you do too. You speak with people like, oh, I don't see God. I don't hear him. I don't hear him like you do. You know, it's a really simple question that I, that I would speak in return. 
Is your heart, is it pure? Is it catharos? Is it untainted? Is it undivided? It is, so, is it solely focused on him? Is, it, is your affection for him completely undivided? Because if it is, you will hear him and you will see him. It's a promise. But maybe if you're not, not as clearly as you would like, then maybe there's something that's fighting for that affection in our hearts. Yeah? And that's something that you and I have to journey through alone. Well, with him and hopefully with someone that can work with us. Because as God points that stuff out, he can remove it so that our heart can be pure. Yeah? That's how it works. Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God until we said yes to Jesus. Now we're made right because of the cross. Now we're sons and daughters, but we still have habits. We still have a, a, a fleshly nature that we've got to work through, that we sometimes, so to speak, have to beat into submission. Yeah? We've got to get our hearts undivided. You know, in that verse 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Man, that's a reasonable promise, I reckon. You know, like seriously, imagine talking to someone out in the community. By the way, you know, if you can completely give your heart to God 100%, you will hear him, you will see him, he will walk with you, he will talk with you, your life will be changed. You know, I always get a little bit jealous. I'm going to share it, you know. I know you're saying, oh my goodness, it's jealousy, you can't be jealous, you're the pastor. Don't worry, I've got, I've got so much humanity that if you knew it all, you'd be lucky to be walking with the Lord, yeah. But I sometimes look at people who say, you know, I saw an angel. It's like, really? What did it look like? It looked like this. Fair income, are you serious? Oh, yeah, and they were wearing this and wearing that. Now, I'm talking about people who have legitimately seen angels. Maybe some, some of them in their mind's eyes. Some of them have actually seen it with their eyes, yeah? You've got to remember, heaven exists now. Earth exists now. They're two realms that exist at the same time. And the reason that we can be sons of God and still live on earth is because we're living in both places at the same time. But that's, that's for another day, yeah? So when someone says, like my daughter, I've seen angels, it's like, I look at her and I go, God, are you serious? Her. Her. Like, God, can we have this conversation? But I know none of you think like this, yeah? I understand that it's just me. It's like, her. She, seriously. And then, oh, you'll be in a worship time and someone will go, did you hear the music? Like there was only this person singing, but in the background, I heard like violins. And he goes, did you? And someone else goes, me too. I heard that. And then there's about three or four people all sharing what they experience. It's like, God, them? Seriously, God, them? Not me, them? But I know, not you, just me, yeah? There's so much more in him, yeah, that we can experience and encounter when our hearts are pure, completely undivided, focused on him. So if we can get to this place where our heart's affection is not fighting for anything else, then I think we can step into what God has for us. Verse 9, verse 10, etc. He's best for us. So if you're willing to continue, then I'll keep going, yeah? So verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace. This is the NLT version. Who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Work for peace. Think about it for a minute. Work for peace. What does that actually mean, work for peace? I, I think, and I want to suggest the principle of peace here is similar to the principle of a crop or seed. 
As you sow seed, you reap a harvest. As you sow peace, you'll actually reap goodness back. Because those who are peacemakers, I think, will sow seeds of peace. See, what did Jesus do? He washed, he washed the feet of men that would betray him, didn't he? Like, seriously. He washed the feet of those that were going to stab him in the back. He sits down and has dinner with a tax collector, a cheat, a criminal. Like, oh, Jesus, how dare you? you know? He actually, Jesus himself honours a woman that at the time the society were condemning her. Yeah? Yet he seems to be sowing these seeds of peace. He seems to be working for peace. Yeah? So he builds these bridges by healing hurts and he stops conflict by building peace in the inner man with those that he confronts. Yeah? Instead of, instead of going to war with the tax collector and sinner, he sits down, he has dinner, he builds peace in his heart, brings him to a place where he can be trusted. Well, you know, it feels like Jesus can be trusted. He sows these seeds of peace in people's hearts and he was and he is a peacemaker. So, look, just go with me here. We can't be, you and I can't be peacemakers unless we're in the middle of a conflict. A peacemaker. You can be a peacemaker in person, yes, but you can't make peace unless you're in the middle of a conflict. You can't be a peacemaker unless you're in the middle of a war. I wrote in last week's Logos, you can't be a peacemaker until your peace is tested by trials and tribulations. Is that fair? Well, I think that's fair, yeah? So we've got to remember that God desires his best for us. Now go with me here. But to get his best, to experience God's best, what he wants for us, what he wants to pour out for us, what he's given us that we have to step into to get his best, we may need to go through our worst. That just, you know, I don't know if I can say it in church. And if I was in the western suburbs, I, I would say it sucks. But because I'm not, I won't. Yeah. Did I? I missed it. I'm sorry. It does. It sucks. And I apologise. And please forgive me for that word. But sometimes to get his best, we've got to go through our worst. Yeah. It's like, come on. I love something that Ross Morgan shared uh, probably a month ago now. But it's the paradox of our faith. Like it doesn't make sense. There's no, there's no gain without pain. There's no resurrection without death. There's no God's best unless we're prepared to go through our worst. Yeah? And that means no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what we're thinking, he still desires his best for us. So we will be peacemakers. It says that, you know, those that work for peace, they will be called children of God. This is how a child of God works. When you're in a friendship with, with, with your buddies and pals and there's differing opinions. Ever, anyone ever been in that situation? Yeah? Like, you know that they're wrong. Yeah? But it's no longer about who's right or who's wrong because you're a peacemaker now. Do you understand? You're, you're now a peacemaker. So you, you, you visit a church, not Mount Clear, because we're in unity. Where there's unity, God commands a blessing. But you go to a particular church and they're fighting over theology. You're not going to fight over theology because there's areas of grey right through Christianity. We're going to stick with the basics of Jesus. He died. He, you know, he came, he died, he rose again. We're going to hang around there. And you know what? I'm going to be the peacemaker in this situation. Yeah. Sometimes your relationships are tested, husband and wife, 
father and children, mother and child, grandparents. Sometimes just amongst your friends. Sometimes you feel cheated. Sometimes you feel like people have let you down. Sometimes you feel like they've stabbed you in the back. Again, I know that these are just experiences from my 45 years of life and not yours, yeah? But we're peacemakers. Maybe the business that you started didn't work. Maybe your partner, you know, let you down. Maybe the job that you had that you were promised, you got there. I actually saw friends of ours that used to pastor a church here in Ballarat that went to New Zealand, Scott and Katie, and I don't know the circumstance, but could you imagine how they would have to protect their hearts? So they were working in New Zealand at a church. They left there, went to a church in New South Wales because they both um, they, they got a position there. They were there for a month and they were both out of work. Now, I don't know what transpired. But having said that, could you imagine how they would have to guard their heart in that situation? So it's not about right or wrong. It's about being a peacemaker. You know, you've studied for your exams and you failed. You, you need to bring peace in that situation, don't you, for yourself? And even for the parents that are asking you, hey, could you possibly fail? You need to be a peacemaker. You know, at the end of the day, it, sometimes life feels like a war. Now, again... It just might be me, but sometimes it feels like that my heart and my head are in the middle of a battle and it feels like World War I and II, like we're about to go into World War III. I'm just waiting for the nuke to fall and it just my, my head to become a mushroom cloud. It takes me weeks on holidays just to tuck the cloud back in, you know? Especially when kids are mucking up. Man, I reckon if I was a cartoon, I would be a mushroom cloud. Samuel, Nathan, I'm going to be like that all day. That would be me. Yeah? Sometimes life is just so intense. Ever felt like you can't trust someone? Ever felt like you can't go on? Like, I can't do this another day. Ever felt like, I don't have any real friends. I've got friends, but I don't know if they're really my friends. Maybe they're just hanging around. They like my coffee. And so they should. You know, I don't know if anyone actually sees the real me. You know, it's in that space. Because you have a heart that's not mixed, because you have a heart that's pure, that's untainted, that's undivided, it's in that place that you're able to trust him, our father, daddy, papa. When everything around us is screaming at us, that we're still at peace and that we can bring peace in those situations because we are the peacemakers. Not just for us, but for those around us. And when we're the peacemakers, not just for us, but also those around us, we're called children of God. Yeah? And something God showed me, this was a, a revelation for me, and it might be a play on words, but you see, in the midst of our darkness, our darkness, your personal darkness, in the midst of your darkness, the pure in heart see God. And because you're living in that space, in the darkness that's around you, yeah, you're now a peacemaker. But only because you saw God. Only because your heart was undivided in your darkness. Only because you were able to focus on him when you were going through your worst and you got his best. And now when you're experiencing everybody else's life, you can just speak life into it. Because you're a peacemaker. 
That's God's best for us, to be people that change other people's lives. Now Philippians chapter 4 makes sense, doesn't it? When it says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Now I know why. Because you know what? My heart is already fully given over to him. It's not fighting for any other affection. I've now seen God and I'm running with him. And so when stuff happens, I'm a child of God, a peacemaker. So now I'm living in this place. There's this peace. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I shouldn't be. But I'm just feeling okay with stuff. Yeah? Being right doesn't matter anymore. You know, what I think is what I think, and it doesn't have to be what you think, even if you're wrong. It doesn't have to be. It's being at such peace in the midst of the war in your own life that we can still love each other even when we disagree because we're children of God, yeah? We don't react and act like the world does. We're different because our hearts are pure, untainted, undivided, and we have seen him. Why would we bother squabbling with each other when we can bring life and love into each other's lives? And God's saying, man, that's some of my best for you, that you can be like me to them. Like, that's really awesome, exciting stuff. God's desire is his very best for us. What about, what about verse 10 in Matthew 5? I love this. Now, I'm going to get excited because now God's going to start to push our envelope. Yeah? Now, this is like the, the prayer of Jay, Jabez, but I think he's moving the tent pegs. Like, he's, he's starting to enlarge our hearts. You ready for this? The NLT said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, the Message Bible just puts it in a way that I love. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Now, can I use that word again? Doesn't that suck just a little bit? Like, seriously, isn't that just wrong to an extent? It's just like, please, God. And again, forgive me for those that don't like that word. You have to forgive me. If you don't forgive me, God doesn't forgive you. <laughs> I'm just jesting, yeah? The truth is that many of us, I'm talking regardless of age, youth, young adults, those that are in the twilight of their years, yeah? Whoever it might be, all of us want to be committed to God. But some of us, not at the expense of our friendships, our families, our work, and certainly not to the point of being persecuted, yeah? Seriously, you're sharing with someone in the street, say, Jesus loves you. Man, if you love him so much, he's going to pour his blessing on you, sir. And if you're so committed, persecution is coming your way. Amen. And they go, awesome, persecution. I'll have two of those, thanks. Why is it 
that if we're so committed to him, that to our God, that it provokes persecution. Now go with me here. You want to get what the passage is saying, but what it doesn't say? You won't be persecuted for God until you're fully committed. I've never been persecuted. Uh-huh. You know, like seriously. Because it says you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. So if we've not yet been persecuted for our faith, maybe we're not fully committed. Just maybe. I'm throwing it out there, yeah? This is not critique. It's not criticism. This is just commentary and what God's challenging me with, yeah? You won't be persecuted for God until you're living your faith out loud. If you prefer, we can go back to the NLT version. There is a blessing, yeah? We'll read it. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So what that's saying is there's a blessing that God pours out on you. Look to the person on your right and say, it's for you. Go on. Person on your left, not yet. (laughs) There's a blessing that God pours out on you when you're persecuted for him. And if you're never persecuted for him, you'll never experience that particular blessing. You mean God's got a blessing for me that he's going to pour out on me when I'm persecuted? I haven't experienced that blessing. Well, maybe you've not yet been persecuted. All of a sudden, it's like persecution went from something that looked really yuck to if it's a blessing from God, it's good because everything that comes from God is good. So I'm thinking I want to be persecuted in some way just to find out what this blessing is. Because his his desire is his best for us. And some of us don't move into all that God has for us because of fear, because of friendships, because we don't know if we can cope with that. Just move forward. There's stuff that's coming your way from a a Father in heaven that's ready just to pour it out. And again, it's that conundrum. It's that paradox. Are you serious? That blessing is tied to persecution. That persecution is tied to my commitment to you. Really? I just thought if I said yes to Jesus. But his desire is his best. And when you give him your best, persecution from the world might come your way, but then God says, hey, fret not, because check out the blessing that I'm about to pour on you. Yeah? So when we're living in God's best for us, when we walk in those deep waters, when our commitment to him makes so much noise that it attracts the enemy and provokes persecution. You've got to love that word. It actually provokes persecution. Who's ever provoked their children? Come on, dads. My wife tells me all the time, help me put them to bed. I do. Don't excite them when you put them to bed. Don't provoke them. Well, hold on, you asked me to put them to bed. That's what I do. I provoke them. I get Samuel, he gets up on his bunk, and while he's there, while I'm praying for him, I smack his head, just lightly. You know, like, he's like, oh, and I, I keep doing it till he gets really frustrated, and then he calls out, Mom! And then Mel goes, yeah, right, really good, Andrew. You know, get him excited just before bed, like he's going to sleep now. I said, well, you wanted my help. <laughs> You know, your commitment provokes 
provokes persecution. When you're committed to God, it's like poking the enemy. Yeah? When you are 100% swimming in deep waters, when you're producing 30, 60, and 100 times all that God's giving you, it's like you're poking him and poking him and poking him. If I went up to Laurie now and kept poking him in the shoulder, he'd be really peaceful and passive because we're in church. But part of him inside is saying, if he doesn't stop it soon, Grace, I'm going to knock him out. Look, I'm just sure there would be some thought process like that. Maybe not, you know. Maybe not. Maybe I'd choose to do it to Alan because I could run, you know. Like, and then someone would have to chase me down. Alan, I got him for you. You know, because our commitment to God provokes the enemy. And it brings persecution, but that persecution, then God says, bingo, you made it. It's like you hit the target. You had the ball and you were throwing it at the target that drops the guy into the water. You hit the target and God goes, woohoo, here comes the blessing. Because you were persecuted, because you were fully committed to him. Because if we go back to verse 8, because your heart was untainted, it was unmixed, it was cathoros, it was pure. It's always his best. The best is always coming. And I love that message version that, that says that it drives us deeper into his kingdom. Like that's just, man, I don't know about you. I want to go deeper in the things of God all the time. I, I, I want to go deeper with God. I want to experience more of him, you know, more of his grace. Can I experience more grace? Of course I can. God doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. You try measuring that. Yeah, I can only measure it by what I experience. But God's always got more. I want more, more of his mercy and forgiveness and love. I want to I experience more understanding. I, I want to read the word and have more revelation. You know where the word just jumps out? You go, wow. You know, something gets illuminated that was, you never saw it before. Then... You and I, we just need to live a life so sold out. A life that is so obviously Christian that it drives us deeper into his kingdom. A place where we're peacemakers all the time in every circumstance. Yeah? I, I love the next part because the paradox continues. Yeah? Verse 11 and 12 reads, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be glad. Put up streamers. Buy a cake. Have a party. Celebrate with your friends. Sorry, I sort of moved off the... NLT and went to the Battistella Version Bible then. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Here's the thing with verse 11. Here's the paradox. Yeah? People won't and can't mock you. They won't and they can't persecute. They won't and they can't lie about you or say evil things about you because you're Jesus' followers. Unless they know you're Jesus' followers. I've never been mocked. And I've never had anyone say anything evil about me. Really? Does everyone know that you follow Jesus? Like, you've got to ask yourself the question. Because I'm just reading the word as it is written, yeah? 
How many people that we see regularly know that we're a Christian, that we're followers of Jesus? And if I ask myself that question, I would say, yeah, there's some, maybe even over 50%. But that still leaves just under 50% or maybe even just over 50% that don't know that I'm a Jesus follower. See, people knew who Jesus was, didn't they? They knew what he stood for. They heard what he spoke about. And people were drawn to him. Even in that day and age and in his context, they were drawn to him. And he was so focused on the Father. His heart was completely undivided. That's why he could say in John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's total trust. That's total surrender. That's verse 8, pure heart, cathoris, undivided, unmixed, untainted, solely focused. All his attention and affection was on his Father. And so even as he journeys towards the cross, his death, he's at peace. And not only is he at peace, yeah? But he was able to bring peace to those that were around him. Peacemaker, even in his dying moments. See, God desires his best for us. And when we look at Jesus, that's just a snapshot of what God has desired for us, his best. And again, it's not about feeling bad or guilty about where we are or where, where we're not, but it's understanding that there's more. So if you don't know there's more, you don't go back for more. When you're at my home and you've got a plate of food, I'm often still hungry, not because I need to eat, but because I ate so fast and the mechanism in my mind hasn't yet told my stomach that I'm full. But because I know there's more food, I get up and get more food. If I knew there was no food, I wouldn't get up. And for some of us, we need to know that God's best is still out there. What you're eating is good. It's filling you up. But when you know there's more, it gives you the courage and the strength to get up out of your seat and walk towards it to get more in Jesus' name. We're Christians. We, we are the head and not the tail. Yeah, We're the ones that are living in victory even in the face of defeat. We're the ones whose glass is always half full while the rest of the world is saying it's half empty. His desire for us is his best. And if we can understand that, man, the life that we could live, it's changing our thinking, our mindsets. It changes our focus. It's that quote from, you know, the Marigold Hotel. Who ever watched that movie? Great movie. Everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not yet the end. Yeah? That's what it's like with God. You might be going through the worst of struggles. But if it's not all right yet, it's not yet the end. Because it's in that place, yeah, that stuff starts to happen. It's in that place of persecution that he pours out his blessing. It's when we allow our hearts to be pure and focused on him regardless of what we're experiencing that we will see him. Yeah? It's when we start to tell people that we have this love for Jesus that people might start to say funny things about us. Even within church. Did you see that couple? I think they raised their hands. They're one of those. Did you see the pastor? He can't dance. 
but he's trying. Even in church. That's not how I read this. They use the NIV version. That's not a good version to read. They should read the King James. Everything will be all right in the end, and if it's not all right, it's not yet the end. Everything will be all right as long as we keep our eyes on the fries, and the fries that we follow are Jesus. Yeah? And nothing, nothing should distract you from keeping your eyes on your fries, on your saviour, on your king, on your redeemer, on your kinsman, on your messiah, on your brother, on your father. Yeah? Because it's you, not just me, who's seated in heavenly places. It's you, not just me, that are heirs and co-heirs with him. It's you, not just me, that are ambassadors for the king. Yeah? And, and I think we, we've got to get excited. We've got to be a people that are excited and get excitable. Seriously. If, if you live with someone that doesn't get excited, punch them in the arm. So every time you go to punch them again, they, they sort of move and flinch because they're scared you're going to hurt the same spot. Because you should be excited about stuff, even if it's out of fear of your partner punching you. Look, just get excited. Get happy. Get happy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And even when life throws you lemons... The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? It was you and I. You've got to be happy with yourself. You've got to be in love with yourself. You've got to see yourself the way that God sees you. Because, because of you, he went to the cross. And because of that, you now have a strength. Because of the strength, that strength now makes you happy. In him. Not in what life gives you. But in him. Verse 12, this is awesome. This should stir up every childhood memory for each and every one of us, yeah? Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. You know the frustration here? We're not even told what the reward is. Like we've already got Jesus. He already lives in my heart. My eternity is already assured. I know I'm going to be singing praises to the king forever. And it says, be happy about it when you're persecuted. Be happy about it when people say all manner of evil about you. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Now, man, I'm like a child. If you see my son Nathan, you give him a present that's wrapped in paper... He doesn't carefully take off the tape so you can use the wrapping paper for the next gift you're about to give away to somebody else, like my mother used to. And if it's your present, he doesn't care that it's yours. He just wants to rip the paper off because he wants to see what the gift is. He wants to know what's underneath all of that wrapping, what's inside the box. I want to know, what is it? What is it? Come on, what is it? I may never know until I get to heaven. But what I do know is that I need to be glad when stuff's happening against me, when people are saying all manner of evil, because I follow Jesus, because my reward in heaven is great. Come on, we should walk out of this place. It doesn't matter what happens. It's great. What we're going to receive is great. What we've already received is phenomenal. It's great. The NIV says, great is your reward. I mean, I'm already spending eternity with God and that's pretty awesome. 
You know, I'm going to get a gift that's great. I'm excited, but I'm also frustrated because I want to rip the paper off. Church, be a people that want to rip the paper off. Be a church when persecution comes your way, that as it comes, you put your hands out because you know there's a blessing coming from the Father. Be a people whose heart is so turned towards God and affection and completely undivided towards him that you will see him, that you can share your encounters with others. See, I love this. We get to this place in our walk where we just simply trust him. Our hearts are his completely. We're peacemakers. We bring peace and we have peace when we should have no peace. And as we walk with him in such deep relationship, as we live so committed to him, we may receive persecution, but it pushes us deeper into his kingdom, yeah? Now, people might start to talk about us. They might gossip about us because over lunch they heard you talking about Jesus. Or when you're in the shopping aisles with your kids, you know, you just happen to be sharing something about God and how somewhere in the world people don't have the food that you have and you should thank him for what we've got. People might start to say terrible things about you because you're a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And sometimes because you're a follower of Jesus, they just say nasty things anyway. They look at your humanity. Isn't it brilliant that God doesn't look at our humanity? Because while we were still sinners, he still died for us. See, he doesn't choose those that are holy, but he's come for the sick and the destitute and the down and outs. So I love the fact that God chose me to do what I've been called to do because like Paul, I'm quite happy to say, you know what, I was the furthest away from him. I was the greatest of sinners. Are there other sinners? Yeah. Are they greater than you? Well, sin, sin. Yeah. But people, when they know that you follow Jesus, start to look at your humanity. Oh, how come they're always sick? I thought they loved Jesus. How can that person actually act like that? I thought they were a follower of Jesus. How can that person raise their children like that? I thought they were Jesus people. How can that people say that about that job? I thought they loved Jesus. And they start to pick at your humanity just because they know that you're a follower of Jesus. Because the enemy just wants to bring persecution against you, wants to say all manner of evil against you, yeah? But in that, in that, we're the peacemakers. In that, we see God. In that, he pours out his blessing. In that, he goes, by the way, see that? That huge box with all of that wrapping paper and that ribbon and that bow? Yes, God, yes, that's yours. Awesome, what is it? You'll know when the time comes. He just wants to pour it out on us. And it's right there in that place that we start to live in his best, naturally and supernaturally here on earth, yeah? Why don't we stand? Matthew 6.10. Andrew, can I have the keys? Just the keys. Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. For me, it has. His will be done through us, yeah? On earth as it is in heaven. Papa's desire is his best for us. And now having been honest and open and vulnerable with him, having made the choice to keep our hearts totally devoted to him, having experienced so much of his goodness, even in the face of persecution, 
we now have a faith that encapsulates the rest of Matthew 5. Verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. You have been all that you've been through. You've kept your heart pure. People have persecuted you. They've said all manner of evil against you. But I've poured my blessing on you. I've come and I've met you. You've been peacemakers to my people. And I've got a reward for you. And now you, you, you're like my son. You're like Jesus. You're the salt of the earth. When you visit that person, they come away saltier than they were. You've added flavour to their life because you've been like me. When you walked into that darkness, you are the light of the world and you brought the light into that place. No one else could have done it. Only you could because you kept your heart pure. You were totally, totally devoted to me. And people persecuted you, but you stood strong. And I poured my heart and my blessing out on you. And they said all stuff about you, but I didn't care. I had a reward for you in heaven. And now, now you are my soul. Now you are my light. Because His best is just there for us. And His desire is to pour it out on us. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You are his ambassadors. We are his children. We are citizens of heaven. Yeah? And we will experience all that He desires for us, His best, if we will keep our hearts pure, catharsis, undivided, total affection toward Him. And in the face of life's trials, tribulations and lemons, yeah, we stand firm and He pours His blessing and He does a work on the inside of us. When he does that on the inside of us, it affects those around us. Because now you are his hands and his feet extended. Now you are his mouthpiece. Now you can be all that he has desired for you. Like his son, his son, his daughter. you lay your hand just on the person next to you. God's desire is His best for you. When we can start to see that there's more, when we can start to understand that all that He has, He's given us and we just have to step into that. Don't be disappointed with where you're at. Don't be upset. It's a journey. It's a process. We all journey at different speeds and at different times and some of us take longer than others. Don't look at your humanity because God does it. He looks at what's inside of you. He looks at your heart. Father, in this place, Lord, men and women in this house, 
Father, help us daily to have hearts that are pure, that are cathoros, God, that are undivided, whose attention is fully focused on you. Father, that we may see your goodness and your best for us in everything that we go through. Father, that even in our persecution, God, Lord, you give us your kingdom. Father, when people say all manner of evil about us because we're Christian, because we love you, Lord God, I thank you that great is the reward reward that you have for us in heaven. I thank you, Lord God, that we are your light and we are your soul. Father, help us to see that we are your hands and feet extended, that when we go out into the community, then when we meet men and women and children and youth, God, when we're with our families and our friends and in our workplaces, God, that we are you. That when we lay hands, you lay hands. That when we speak, you speak. Lord, where we walk, you're walking. Father, help us to be like Jesus, so focused on you that we would only do what you do. I thank you, God, for the trust that you've placed upon us. Lord, I thank you that when we were so far away and distant, Lord, sinners, you still died for us. Lord, you still gave us your very best and your desire is to continue to pour that out on our lives. Father, may we be a people from this moment on that walks with eyes that see what you see. That, Father, even in the midst of life's lemons, Lord, if it's, if it's not yet all right, then it's not yet over. And we'll keep walking and talking for you. Father, you are our Saviour, our example, our King and our God. Help us to understand your best for us. Lord, help that thought propel us to overcome every situation we face. That we may be able to say we are more than conquerors with you. Father, regardless of what comes, Father, may we be able to say that all things work together for good for those who love Jesus. Father, may we be a people that changes the lives of those around us. We bless you. We bless you and we thank you for your best. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you all of the glory and all of the honour. we give you praise. Lord, you are the one that we live for. We ask you to seal these words in our hearts that we might be a people, Father of the promise, a people of the change. We love you, we love you, we love you. And everybody in the house said, Amen. Have a good week. Have a great week. And know that God's desire is his best for you. In Jesus' name.